Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, this is a really exciting time of the year. Uh, this is my favorite time of the year, uh, besides Star Wars season. And... Uh, and you know, I, I really, really like Christmas because of carols. How many of you actually enjoy carols? Yes? How many of you know that carols weren't written by some major corporation and like, you know, we're going to come out with this jingle and we're going to make like a billion dollars from these songs? No, carols were actually written by men of God who had genuine experiences and encounters with the Lord and with the Bible. And these carols were written in response to a revelation of God. They are re- written in response to who God is. Amen? See, this is really, it's really exciting times. I, I don't know if you're really excited, but picture this. The words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I not only sung in churches, but sung everywhere, in shopping malls, in, in, in people's homes, from the lips of unbelievers. They're singing these, all these words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. How many of you think that's amazing? Yes? Come on. Response? My mother is listening to the podcast. Hello? <laughs> and you know, this, this is just a side note, but I, I just think it's really exciting, the times we, we live in. You know, that, that all across the earth, people are proclaiming the name of the Lord. How many of you think, it, think it's really cool? I think so. So I was actually at uh, Gardens by the Bay, is it Gardens by the Bay for the, the, the light thing? I actually went on a Saturday. Big mistake. If you haven't gone, don't go on a Saturday. So I went on a Saturday. Uh, I, I came down the, the escalator at Bayfront MRT. I was trying to walk out. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like a big crowd at the door. So maybe someone fainted or maybe someone, uh, there's a show there. So I went out. I was like, no. They were all lining up to get out of the door. I actually got stuck there for 30 minutes trying to get out of the door and another 20 minutes trying to get up the escalator. And I went out, and I was like, you know what, these lights better be amazing. I was on a date with my girlfriend. And so, so I was like, I'm like, man, so many people. I love people, but I don't like people close to me, if you know what I mean. And so, and so I, was trying to get, I was trying to get out, and, and I was like, man, these lights better be amazing. I better cry when I see these lights. <laughs> so I got out. I was trying to, I was, we were walking out, and I was getting like pushed and shoved all over the place. And then it started raining. So I gave my girlfriend one of, one of, one of you know, a, a look that you only can give after five years of dating. It was one of these. And because she was the one that suggested, go and see the lights. So I gave her one of these and she was like, okay, let's go. Let's go. So she grabbed my hand and we went and uh, we were trying to leave. And uh, no long story short, we went up to the bridge outside Marina Bay Sands to go in and there was a, like another jam, and so we spent like another 30 minutes standing in the rain in the bridge. And, uh, and, all, and the whole time I was, I, was, I was standing there and I was getting shoved, I was getting poked by umbrellas, uh, kids were pulling, pulling at my, my jeans and stuff like that. I was like, man, this is intense. Which brings me to my sermon topic today, a battle for hope. It, <laughs> I tell you, man, at that point, uh, it was like all sense of hopelessness, man. I was getting... 
shoved. I was getting poked by children. It was raining. I didn't see the lights. I was standing. And how many of you know, as, even as I speak now, there is a battle for hope going on right now in your lives, in the lives of unbelievers, all over, all over the world. There is a battle for hope. And uh, today's sermon is going to be pretty interesting. I'm just going to rant and talk for the first 10 to 15 minutes, get to some Bible verses, and then give you three points, and then we'll close up. Okay? Can I? And how many of you heard PD mention a word, uh, mention a statement that hope is the confident expectation of good? How many of you have actually heard that? See, that's not a made-up statement. The word hope in the Bible comes from the Greek word LPs, which means the confident, joyful expectation of good. The confident and joyful expectation of good. That is what hope is. Hope is the confident expectation of good. It's like, you know, I have this dog in my house that my sister got my parents to buy after she got an A for Chinese at PSLE. Because my dad actually promised her a dinosaur and <laughs> couldn't find a dinosaur, so we had to buy her a dog. So I have this dog that you know, I will use to chase girls. Okay, so okay, I will get into that story another day. But, but so it's a, it's a little cute miniature schnauzer named Pepper. And so Pepper loves going out. And so he, like, you know, after several years of routine, he knows, like, when is the time to go out. So every day at 2 p.m., he'll start whining for a bit. And then he'll start, like, pacing the house. And he'll start, like, walking to the door. And then he'll start walking around in circles. And then when my, my mate, she, she takes the leash, he starts jumping up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, and running around the house, and then running to her, and then she has to strap the leash while he's jumping up and down, and then, and then brings him up. And I was looking at him one day, and I was like, oh man, that is what hope looks like. See, he knows that he's going to go out when the, leash is, when the leash comes. He knows he's going to go out at 2 p.m. And that looks like hope. It's, it's confident. It's a, it's a knowing. It's joyful. It's an anticipation of good that's coming. Amen? And, and can we, you know, if we look at the situations of our lives today, can we say that we have the same expectation, the same confidence, and the same joy as we look at these circumstances? Are, are we looking at these things and going like, man, you know, I, I know it's coming, I know it's coming, I know it's coming. Yeah, it looks bad right now, it looks dark right now, but I know it's coming, I know it's coming. Amen? That's what hope looks like. See, hope is expectation. And when you expect something, that's all that you can fill your mind and occupy with. Like, you know, when I have an expectation for the amazingness of Star Wars, that's all my mind can occupy with. That's all I fill my mind with. That's all I think about every day, all day. That's, that's, that's hope. Hope is expectation. And the battle for hope is a battle for your mind. It's a battle for what you occupy your mind with. It's a battle for your expectation. See, you must know that you're in a battle. You lose if you're unaware. Let's bring up a verse. It's uh, 2 Corinthians first, verse te- uh, chapter 10, verse 4 to 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and everything, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bring 
every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Many times we read that verse and, uh, you know, that's the classic spiritual warfare verse, amen? And so our perspective of spiritual warfare is, you know, we're going to pray against something and we're going to war, we're going to intercede. These are all valid uh, expressions of spiritual warfare. But Paul in this verse is saying that spiritual warfare looks like this. It looks like taking every, uh, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, against who God says he is in the Bible, who God says he is through your encounters, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The highest level of spiritual warfare is that, taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Because the devil knows that if he can get your thoughts, he can steal your hope. If he can steal your hope, he can rob you of your destiny. Amen? Man, yes? See, I think that's true. One of my favorite quotes uh, is from a guy named Francis Frangipine. It says that any area of my life that is not filled with hope is under the influence of a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the devil. Oh, that part didn't make up there. Let me read it to you again. Any area of my life that is not filled with hope is under the influence of a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the devil. Any area that does not have hope is under lie. The Bible says... It's the truth that sets us free. Amen? And so if you view it the flip side, what keeps us bound? Lies. Right? Lies keeps us bound. Any area of my life that is not filled with hope, I'm under the influence of a lie. Which means this, you know, truth sets us free. Lie keeps us bound. Any area of my life that is not filled with hope, I am bound, I am restrained, I am held back by the lies, by the thoughts that I entertain myself with. Amen? See, I've counseled many people dealing with sin, you know, be it uh, uh, lust and be it, you know, different sins, anger. And, you know, all these sins have, have, to me, you know, after years of counseling, they all have a common trait. See, many times we approach these things and we go after the expression of it. All right, don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. Not knowing that all these things, all these sins stem from a deeper root issue and it's really lies that people are believing in. Lies of sig- insignificant, lies of finding love in the wrong places, lies of unworthiness. These things uh, create an environment for sin to thrive. We have to target things at its root. Amen? Amen? Any area of my life that is not filled with hope is under the influence of a lie. Romans 15 verse 13, it says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled with hope? How do you get filled with joy? How do you get filled with peace? It's in believing. In believing what? In believing the truth. Amen? Come on. Amen? See, it's so easy to go to the dark side, you know, with news, with conversations, with social media, popular opinion. You know, you can, you can just go on, on Facebook and, you know, if you look to the left, you see stuff about ISIS. You look to the right, you see stuff about Donald Trump. It's, it's all there. You know, it doesn't... It doesn't take a 
an, uh, an, an investigator to find uh, bad news. Amen? It doesn't take an a, 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 a investigator to get pessimistic about the world, right? It's all there. It's all in front of us. But you know what? The, the thing I noticed is that Jesus never allowed the lure of the enemy, the present situation, the present circumstance of the world he's living in, define him and define his ministry. Bill Johnson said this. He said that Jesus never lived in reaction to the devil. He lived in response to the Father. Amen? It's, it's hard to have hope. It's hard to have expectation of good, of joy, if our attention is focused on what the enemy is doing. Hope only comes from the Father and from seeing Him and from, from knowing He is God over all. There are two uh, verses in the Bible that talks about God laughing. And both of them are in context of the devil's plans. Psalms 2 talks about how he who sits in the heavens laughs. And it's a context of the enemy's plans. We can only get a joyful perspective when we have God's perspective. Amen? Amen. See, often we are guilty of celebrating weakness and hopelessness over strength and hope. We tend to be wary of those who have a ton of hope. No, it's not practical, we say sometimes. It's not wise. Oftentimes, our fear of embracing a hope-filled perspective of life masquerades itself as wisdom and practicality. Don't dream big. Don't expect too much. Or else, you know, you may have disappointment. Or else you may, you know, uh, feel like you're a failure. Don't, don't dream too big. How many of you have ever, ever thought that way? No, don't, don't hope too much. And, and we, do, we, we, we think, no, that is wisdom. We think that's practicality. But not knowing that, that very thought and that very mindset wars against the purposes of God. The Bible says that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. What does that mean? It means that any sense of unbelief wars against faith. Unbelief displeases God. And it's the very thing for some of us that hinders us from experiencing breakthrough. Amen? Unbelief displeases God. Unbelief is faith to me in, in a wrong God. And that very mindset is what hinders breakthrough. We've often heard the saying, the, the verse, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And for years I've been reading that verse as hope that is delayed or hope that is not met or expectation that does not come to pass makes my heart sick. And I did a word study on it and the word deferred there comes from the Greek word which is often used to describe a fruit that is shriveled up, that is withering, that is dying. What am I saying today? I'm saying that hope that is dead, hope that is shriveled up, hope that is withering, is what makes the heart sick. Dead hope is what makes the heart sick. The Bible says that from the heart flows the issues of life. What we hope and how we hope affects the condition of our hearts. And the condition of our hearts is what affects the things we experience in life. What am I saying? What you fill your mind with, your beliefs, will ultimately catch up with your experience. 
your beliefs will always catch up to your experience. Amen? We have to be possessed with hope. We have to be possessed with a promise. We were made to invade the impossible. We have a responsibility to contend for greater things. You know, I was in reservice for the last two weeks, and, uh, and it was really one of the most insightful times of my life. You know, I, you know having uh, worked in church, and uh, most of my friends are believers and are in church. It's been years since I interacted with people that are unsafe. And it was really insightful for me because I got to talk to people who were seemingly really successful in their careers. They were making lots of money, had nice cars, uh, had a family, kids. I was talking to people who uh, were really learned people. They had amazing degrees. But all of them, at some point in our conversation, after two, three hours of gut duty together, they would turn to me and say, Andre, you know, I'm, I'm not really happy with life. I asked them why. It's like, oh, you know, because they are, I don't really like my job. I don't really like what I'm doing. Now, I'm like, oh, what about some of the things that you love to do? What about some of the dreams that you, you have? You know, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's not practical. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, I don't think it'll, it'll happen. Oh, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. And these are things that, that matter to them. These are things that uh, they dream about. And so when I talked to them about some of their dreams, I had a friend that, that really loved guitars and he really uh, wanted to start a business selling guitars. And when I was talking to him about it, he came alive. And what I'm saying, you know, the world is looking for hope. The world is looking for that which we all have because of Jesus. Confident, joyful expectation in the future. They are looking for that. And they are wondering how. How can I get an expectation? How, do I, how can I be confident in the future? Who do I anchor my faith and they look at the lives of believers and they're like, oh my gosh, these people are hope-filled. These people have, have, a, have an optimistic view of their future. How do we get there? How do, how, do they, how do they get there? See, your life and mine, when it's filled with hope, it becomes like a, a signboard that points people to the realities of God. And they look, at, they look at hope and they're like, oh my gosh, that is not possible. In, in light of society, in light of, of the, the present circumstance of the world, that is not possible. That, that is only divine. I must know who they know. Amen? We owe the world that. We owe the world a hope-filled life. You know, today being Christmas, uh, not today being Christmas, this is the Christmas season, I, I want to read from um, Luke chapter 1. And... This is a story of, of Mary uh, receiving the promise and you know, eventually birthing the Savior. And you know, I've gained so much perspective and so much uh, uh, insight into how do you live a hope-filled life? How do you live a life that sustains hope in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of really dark circumstances and situations? We have to understand the context to which Mary received this promise. You know, back in, back in that day, uh, there was a man named Judah Maccabus. Okay, I'm going to a bit of history. He was um, known to be the man who might be the savior. 
And so people looked to him and were like, oh my gosh, this guy looks like he can be the Messiah. And, and at that point, you know, the Jews were, were undergoing a lot of oppression. They were, they were under different rules. They were slaves. And they were looking for a savior. They were all really familiar with all the promises in the Bible. They were looking for a figure to be Messiah. And they saw this guy named Judah. Like, oh my gosh, this guy looks like he could be it. And through a series of events, he actually liberated them from a different rule. But as they were expecting him to lead them, he aligns himself with the Romans. And that's how the Romans came into power over the Jews. And so the people, the, the, the Jews were in a place of, of depression. They, their hope was deferred. They, they lost all sense of hope. They were like, oh my gosh, this guy is supposed to be the savior, but he aligns himself with the enemy and now we are slaves once again. We are under a different rule and we are oppressed once again. And we have to understand that, that Caesar, the ruler of Rome, he considered himself to be like a god. And he, you know, he, uh, he went around and he announced the news that he was the son of God, that he was the great savior of the whole earth, bringing peace to all of Rome. And interestingly enough, he, enti- he calls these announcements, he, he uh, uh, packages them uh, under a, a brand or a label, so to speak, and calls them gospels. He tells his heralds to go across all of Rome and spread the gospel that I, Caesar, am the Son of God, and I, Caesar, am the Savior that's going to bring peace to all the world. And that was the context in which Mary received this promise. The deferred hope of a people, a pagan king who considers himself to be like God, and Mary receives this promise. Let's read that together. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Before we go on any further, I want to show you a video and uh, this video was actually uh, done up by a few friends of mine. And uh, it puts this story of Mary receiving this promise, this story of Mary preserving in hope in a modern context. So let's watch the video and then uh, we'll go on from there. You know, one of the things I really like about that video is, because it puts the story you know, in a really modern uh, context. You know, you see the birth scene of Jesus. They had wooden pallets as well. Very hipster birth. Uh, Mary and Joseph were wearing denim jackets. Man, skinny jeans. Mm. <laughs> Puts it in a very modern context, yeah? You know, but one of the things I really loved about the video and you know, the thing they captured was that point of anguish, if you will, or, you know, in, the, in, in the heart of Mary when she had to tell Joseph the news. You know, she had received the promise, the prophetic word, and you know, oftentimes we skip all the way to the fulfillment Christ being born, you know, the miraculous birth, and then the oh, Savior of the world being near the cross and then resurrected. But we, we rarely uh, 
you know, pay attention to this point where Mary had to go through a process to the point of fulfillment. And many of us, you know, we, you know, like it or not, we are in the same uh, place as Mary. And I don't want to make light of uh, the Christmas story, but many of us, if you will, are pregnant with a promise. We are pregnant with a hope. We are pregnant with a, a desire, a dream that God has placed in us. And there is a process from the word, from the promise that leads up to the fulfillment. And it makes me think, it makes me ponder, like what are some of the things that Mary did in the midst of the process, in the midst of the waiting? You know, the Bible, whenever it talks about waiting, it uses a different word that will completely uh, uh, change the way you view the word waiting the Bible forever. It changed for me. And many times I look at waiting as like a very passive thing. Like, let me just sit here and wait. And then God will work it all, all out. God will sort out details and then, bam, I'm in fulfillment. But the Bible, when it talks about waiting, right, the word that's used there can, is, is also used to describe a, a, a hunter who lies in wait, who sets an ambush, who sets a trap. And then he is in the, the bushes lying in wait and waiting for the prey to come. And that, that is a completely different kind of waiting. The first waiting, you no know, waiting and just, just being there is, is a very passive kind of waiting. But the waiting that the Bible exhorts me and you to do is a very active kind of waiting. It's a waiting that is filled with hope, that is filled with expectation. It's a waiting that knows that one day, because I've set my ambush, because I've set my trap, something is going to come by and I'm going to have dinner that night. That's the kind of waiting. It's an active kind of waiting. And, and you know, studying the story of Mary, how did she wait actively? What were some of the things she did to sustain hope? What are some of the things she did to carry hope, to carry the promise to the point of its maturity, to the point of its fulfillment? I want to share with you this morning three decisions, three powerful decisions to preserve hope from the life of Mary. Amen? First thing I think Mary did, Mary asked honest questions. Mary asked honest questions. We're going to read that verse. Boom. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? That word know is not like I know John. It's like a mm -hmm, kind of a no. I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. I just love it that Mary answered, uh, asked the question. Even in the face of like a divine encounter, even in the face of an archangel, even in the face of Gabriel, she's like, yeah, you know, I, I hear the promise, but I have some questions about the promise. I love, I love that Mary had the, the bonus, the guts, the audacity to ask the angel like, okay, how can this be? How can this happen? And many times you and me, we are afraid to ask God questions. We are afraid to ask God questions. Oftentimes, you know, when we have doubts, we have fears, we have insecurities, and in our conversation with the Lord, we default to this Christian uh, standard sayings like, oh yeah, but thy will be done. Oh yeah, but you are greater. Oh yeah, but you know us more. Oh yeah, you know, like, uh, it's, it's a mystery of God that is, that is unknowable. And we default to these things. Nothing wrong with these things. I love the heart behind these things. But many times, 
the Lord takes a, uh, it, it still is quiet because He's waiting for us to engage Him in the conversation. And many times these phrases, these go-to sayings are the very things that hinders a deep personal connection with God. And not only that, it leaves the questions unanswered. Imagine just like a, your normal relationship with a person. How would you like it if a person just defaults to the standard sayings? Like if I ask you, ask you, like, how are you? Are you going good? And your standard reply is, yep, going good. Love the reply, but you know, if he's going through something and there's a standard reply, we have just lost an opportunity to be connected. We have just lost an opportunity to get intimate. Not the that way, but that way. You know what I'm saying? Amen? Yep. Image stuck. And we are, we, okay, you, I mean, how many of you are following me today? Yeah? We are often afraid to ask God the honest questions. Many times, you know, like I, I will have conversations with people, they're like, oh my gosh, man, I'm so offended with God. Like, you know, a conversation, the, the volume will be normal. Like, oh yeah, you know, man, you know, man many times I'm so offended with God. And I'm like, have you spoke to him yet? It's true, right? We are so afraid with letting God know of uh, letting Him uh, into uh, our, our process or into that, that, that part of our lives where we have insecurities, where we have unsure, and we have a, a, a challenge of faith. We are so afraid of letting God in. Being a, we are so afraid of offending Him. We are so afraid of displeasing Him. Can I tell you a very um, a liberating truth this morning, and this truth has totally changed my life? That God is the only person in the whole universe that can handle all your junk. He's the only one. Not even your spouse. Only God, creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, can handle all your junk. If there's one person who, will be, who is the hardest to offend in your life, it will be God. That changed my life. That changed my prayer life. That changed my conversations with the Lord. Questions are not a sign of unbelief, but it's a step toward deeper intimacy. Questions are not a sign of unbelief, but it is a step toward, toward deeper intimacy. The Bible says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. In my previous sermons, I, I, I define the glory. You know, glory is not just weighty presence, but glory, you know, when we look at the... the, the, the Life of Moses, we look at the story of Moses. Glory is the nature of God. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, God showed him his goodness, his nature, if you will. Right? So we are, you're with me? Glory equals nature. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God to be a mystery. Within every mystery is an opportunity to get a deeper revelation of the nature of God. Within every mystery... It's an opportunity to get a deeper, deeper revelation of who God is. You know, I was on a, a trip with uh, Bill, you know, last year. And we, we have our student trips where we bring, uh, you know, the, the second year students with us. And by the, by the time I was in third year. And uh, Bill really likes to do question and answer uh, uh, times with the students. And so I remember my first uh, 
uh, trip with him. We had all the students sit around, and the students were asking him questions like, what's your favorite coffee? Or do you go to the gym? Or tell us about hunting. Or, you know, and they were asking all these questions. Like, oh, yeah, what's your favorite country? What's your favorite food? And so I was sitting there, I was watching all these students interact, and I was like, I was, I was like, oh my gosh, what kind of like a level, level two answer uh, questions were that? You know, like, you know, you you hanging out with Bill Johnson, like ask like some legit questions, like, <laughs> like, like tell me what God is like. Have you seen his face? Draw it. You know, <laughs> like questions like that. You know, but I was like, man, they're asking him like, what's his favorite coffee? Like, just Google, you'll find it. You know, like, oh, what's my favorite country? And so I was sitting there, I was like, oh. <laughs> and so after the, the Q&A, I was walking beside Bill. I was like, I was like walking in, I was like, man, those questions, huh? <laughs> and he looks at me, he was like, man, I love those questions. I love uh, those, those times where, you know, they get to know who I am and they get to interact with who I am. And, and then he, he said something to me, which in not like a condemning way, like he didn't really know what I was thinking, but he said like, Man, I just love that there are no stupid questions in the kingdom of God. I just love that there are no stupid questions. Every question is an opportunity, is an invitation to connection, to intimacy. I, well, and, and then I was like, man, what's your favorite coffee? <laughs> man, I tell you, what's your favorite country? Yeah? <laughs> totally changed my perspective. And I was like, man, you know, sometimes God just just wants to be a friend. God just wants to converse with us. And many times we feel this pressure that in our prayer life we have to come with like a certain decorum or a certain, certain uh, a list of, of things we have to say or we can't say certain things. But God is not like that. God, God longs to see us you know, raw, completely open, completely vulnerable, completely transparent. You know, one of the things I love uh, where in, the, in the verse it says um, that in this hour that God is looking for worshippers, those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? That word truth there is not like scriptural, theological truth. That word truth there is the word nothing hidden. God is looking for people who worship Him in spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and with nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. If you have doubts, insecurities, fears this morning, it's time for you to ask God some honest questions. Amen? Is this legal? Someone will ask. Read the Psalms. The psalmist will put all his questions to the Lord. And we see, you know, time after time in, in, in the Psalms, there'll be a point where it, it'll be like a turning point And all of a sudden, they'll have a brand new perspective. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73. The psalmist was writing, Oh man, the rich are prospering, the wicked are prospering, uh, the good people are dying, like, Lord, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, like, read that Psalm one day, Psalm 73. And in verse 17, all of a sudden, the psalmist go, But when I entered into the sanctuary of God, in some transition, when I entered into the presence of God, I understood. And then the rest of the psalm is like, Oh God, you're great. Oh God, you're the man. Oh, oh God, this, everything's going to work out. We need that. When you have fears and insecurities, don't run away from the presence and be like, I need to get this worked out before I can go back in. No. The answer to your fears, the answer to your insecurities is in the presence of God. It's in connection with the Lord. Amen? Don't run away. 
Go into the presence. Go into the sanctuary. Ask the hard questions. Amen? You know, one of the things I, I... And this is just a personal thing. Like, I've learned to stop asking God the question, why? It's a very open-ended question, like, God, why? You know, it's a great question, but personally for me and my walk with the Lord now, I don't ask the Lord question, the question why. I ask Him what. You know, like, oh God, you know, I really don't like this now, but what are we going to do about it? Or what do you have in mind? Or what would you like me to do? Because I realize that, you know, many times my question why is not really uh, uh, anchored in the right uh, heart attitude. Like, you know, if you are a child and your parents will be like, yeah, you can't go to Toys R Us right now. You will go, Why? Why? The child is not looking for an explanation. The child is not looking for like a, yeah, this is the reason why. This is the theory behind it. This is the practical implications, child. And the child is not looking for that. The child, when the child goes, why? is basically saying, I don't like your decision. Try again. <laughs> right? And many times when you go to the Lord, it'd be like, Lord, why? We're not looking for like a, yeah, this is why. This thing's like, you know, we're like, no, I don't like that. No, try again. Right? Yeah. So maybe some of you need to stop asking the question why and start asking the question what? what. What do you want me to do, Lord? What are you doing right now? What can we do together? What is happening? Amen? Second thing I think Mary did. Mary immersed herself in community. Mary immersed herself in community. And let's read the verse. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in the OH. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let's pause there. I love that, that line. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And one of the translations that I read often is called the Passion Translation. Translate that verse as, For with God and with the promises of God, not one word that comes from God is empty of power. Not one word that comes from the Lord is empty of power. That means within, with every promise, with everything that the Lord has, has said to you and me, it comes with power. It comes with divine enablement. It comes with grace. Amen? Let's go on. And it says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. She ran to a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. I'm not sure how that happens. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice saying, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believes, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Let's look at another verse. Luke 1, verse 55. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So, just to cut the long story short, Mary was like, man, Elizabeth also has like an impossible circumstance. I need to go live with her. Okay, that was, that, that basically summed up what we just read. Mary went to stay with Elizabeth because the angel of the Lord told her that, Elizabeth, your relative, 
also had an impossible circumstance. And now she is pregnant with a promise. She's pregnant. Go live with her. So she went. And you know, we, we often look at the word community, and community, we, we use it so often, it's in our church taglines, we hear it you know, being spoken from the pulpit really, really often. And we have like many definitions going on for community or many ideas of what community actually looks like. But you know, the Lord gave me a vision for community many years ago and said, Andre, I want, to, I want you to put structure in place in your life that facilitates community. Structure is not meant to be restricting. Structure actually communicates value and worth to the vision. The vision for my life is this. I have a vision for long-lasting friendships. I have a vision for people around me that will strengthen me, that will keep me steady, that will keep me focused, that will keep me in the will of the Lord. That's the vision for my life. And the Lord said, I want you to put structure in place. I want you to create community for your life. And the Lord told me, I want you to find a Barnabas, I want you to find a Silas, and I want you to find a Timothy. Paul, in his life, he had these three figures. He had a Barnabas, he had a Silas, and he had a Timothy. Barnabas was someone who was like a mentor, like a, a leader to Paul. He was his encourager. He was the man who, who vouched for Paul in front of the apostles. He was the man who, who constantly strengthened Paul. Some measure, some way, he actually poured into the life of Paul. We need figures like that. We need spiritual leaders. We need people to pour into our lives. And he also had Silas. He had Silas. Silas, you know, we know that famous story where Paul and Silas were in the prison and they were like, oh my gosh, we're in the prison. Let's sing songs. And then they got liberated. I don't think that's how it happened, but... And then he had Timothy. He had someone who was like a son to him, who was like uh, 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 someone that he was mentoring. Someone that he poured into. We need these three figures in our life. We need someone that pours into us. We need ones who will stand with us in the trials, and we need people to pour into. That, to me, is what community looks like. And today I want to focus on, on that figure, that Silas figure, person that stands beside us in the trial, person that stands with us in the midst of us contending for our promise. See, many times we are looking for people to feed our unbelief or to feed our fears. No, we go to people and like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how, how it's going to work out. And we're looking for people like, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's going to work out. And it feels good. And you can sit there and you can wallow in your pity bubble. It feels good. It feels safe. We're looking for boatmates, if you will. We're looking for people to stand in the boat with us while other people venture out and walk on water and stand there with us and like, yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to survive. And we're looking for people like that. It's very comfortable. It's very assuring, if you will. And we often don't look for people to put in our lives to challenge us, to call us to a greater plane of faith. People that will drag our butts out of the boat and make us want water. We need people like that in our lives. We need people who will challenge us and lift our perspective. Whenever I read the story of Paul and Silas, I, I always picture it this way. Paul and Silas were chained in prison together. And then they were like, oh man, I don't know if this is going to work out. And the two of them were like, okay, we're going to sing. And so they sing together and they praise God together. And I always picture it as like, maybe Paul, after like a, a few verses and a few stanzas, he's like, oh, maybe I'm not, not really sure if this is going to work out. And then he, he lowers his volume. But then Silas drags him and says, like, come on, let's praise God. 
And then, you know, they praise God for like another hour. And then Silas's faith and endurance, like, sort of you know, it gets low a bit. And then Paul is the one that strengthens Silas. See, I always view it as that, as that picture. And I think, you know, that, that is what we need in life. We need people to strengthen us when we are weak. And we need to strengthen people when they're weak. We need these figures in our life. And I think that is what Mary did. Mary got around Elizabeth. Elizabeth, one who had a promise from the Lord. I think it's very interesting that, you know, when, when Gabriel was, uh, when Mary was, was uh, talking to the angel, it's like, oh, how can this be? And then the angel was like, oh, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And look at Mary. Mary was barren, and now she is with child. Look at it closely. Mary, uh, Elizabeth, sorry, Elizabeth was pregnant, and now she's with child. Elizabeth's miracle had nothing to do with Mary's miracle. Elizabeth's, the miracle that Elizabeth needed was she was barren and it was impossible for her to have child. And then, you know, of course, you know, the Lord opened her womb and then she got pregnant. Mary's miracle was that she, could not, she did not even get intimate with a person and she was pregnant. And the Lord said she was pregnant. These miracles have almost no link to them besides the fact that both of them are pregnant. What, what, what I feel you know, the, the Bible is saying is that you need to get around people with breakthrough. Even breakthroughs that have nothing to do with the breakthrough you need. You need to get around people. Some of you, you might need a financial miracle today. Yes, I think there's wisdom in searching for someone who is experiencing a financial miracle. But I also think there's wisdom in finding people who just have breakthrough in their life, you know, maybe in health, maybe, maybe in relationships. Get around people like that and it will strengthen your faith. Amen? I think that's what Elizabeth did, uh, Mary did. You have to get around people who are also in the journey of carrying a promise. When John was inside Elizabeth's womb, she, he, he leaped when he heard Mary. There's something that, that is, is supernatural, divine that happens when two people who are carrying promises, get together. There is this excitement, this synergy. And I've, I, I'm sure many of you have experienced this in your own life, that you know, you, you, you're carrying something and, you're, and you know, you're wondering if this is going to come to pass like a dream. And you get around another person who is also dreaming for something and the two of you converse together. And suddenly there's this excitement, there's this life that comes, a vitality. That is the kind of community that we need to look for. Not ones who will sit with us and and, and just wallow in pity by people who will lift our vision higher, lift our perspective, and create excitement and faith for our dream. Hope. Amen? Last point. Mary made bold declarations. Look at that verse. And uh, I'm just going to read it fast. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, he has put down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary, at a point, you know, she, she hasn't even given birth to the Christ child. 
And yet she made all these great declarations of how the Lord has, has exalted the lowly, how the Lord has saved Israel. Mary was making faith declarations. Those things have not even happened yet. But Mary, you know, in, in view of the promise, in view of an encounter of the Lord, in the midst of community, made these declarations that the Lord will do these things. The Lord will accomplish these things through the Messiah, through my life. Mary made these bold declarations. Hebrews 10.23, it says, To hold fast to the confession of our hope. To hold fast to the confession, the profession of our hope. And that verse is written in the context of the last days, the days that you and I are living today. To hold fast to the profession, to hold fast to the declaration of our hope. See, it's not enough to just think and know. We must confess and speak. Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I've always viewed that verse as whatever I fill my heart with, I will naturally speak. Then the Lord spoke to me one day and said, Andre, how about instead of waiting for your heart to change, you change the way you speak to change the condition of your heart. These two things are, are connected. The Bible is saying that from your heart, your mouth will speak. But what if I can change the way I speak to change the condition of my heart. I said earlier that it's out of the heart that flows the issues of life. Many of you are, are at the point of, of getting your breakthrough. All you need to do is start speaking faith and making bold declarations. Jesus didn't think his way out of the wilderness. He spoke his way out. Jesus didn't think his way out of the wilderness. He spoke his way out. Likewise, in many things in the Bible, the creation of the world. It was spoken to existence. The inauguration, the launch of Jesus' ministry. He spoke. He quoted the verse in Isaiah. Likewise, for you and me, we are here today because we made a faith declaration. We made a bold confession and said that I'll give my life to Jesus. I believe in Jesus. That's why you and I are seated here today. There is power in declarations. Amen? So Jesus didn't, didn't just think himself out of wilderness. He spoke. What did he say? What did he speak? He spoke. The Word of God, right? He spoke the Word of God. We are all familiar with the armor of God in Ephesians, yes? What is the Word of God? It's the sword, right? And when we picture this, this, this uh, armor, we often picture it as like a really long, broad sword, you know? But when, the, when, when Paul was writing this, it was actually written in context of the Roman armor. And that sword was actually a small dagger that was used to dig out arrows if they, they get past the shield and actually pierce the soldier. This sword, this, this sword or this little dagger was actually used to dig out these arrows from the soldier. Okay, everyone got that picture? What is the shield called? The shield of faith. The Bible, when it talks about the, the attacks of the enemy, when he talks about the lies of the enemy, he, it likens it to fiery darts, fiery arrows. What I'm trying to say here, I'm trying to say that when the lies of the enemy, when the accusations of the enemy, like fiery arrows, like fiery darts, like arrows, get past your shield of faith, get past your faith and pierces you and damages you, use that sword, that word of God, to dig out these arrows. That's the picture of the armor of God. Why am I saying this morning? 
some of you, you know, b- because of circumstance and situation and the lies of the enemy, have lost hope, have lost faith. And that's where you get to go back to the Word of God, this sword, and read it and recount these promises you know, of the Lord and, and dig out these lies and dig, dig out these accusations. Amen? When Jesus spoke in the wilderness, He declared the Word of God. Amen? Here we have the band on stage. Now we'll close. Three things Mary did. Mary asked honest questions. Mary found community. And then Mary made bold declarations. This morning as we close, I want to share four hope-filled beliefs with you. Four indicators of a hope-filled person. If you can believe these four things that I'm about to share to you, you have hope. Number one, there is always a solution. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear with it. There is always a solution. Whatever you're facing in life, whatever circumstance, situation, obstacle, there is always a solution. This is the mindset of a hope-filled person. Number two, I will always know what to do. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If you lack wisdom today, if you are unsure of what to do or what the next step is to take, ask God for wisdom. He is faithful to give you. You will always know what to do. Number, f- number three, I am successful. Kingdom defines success very differently. It says this in Philippians 4. It says, I know what is it is it to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all these through Him who gives me strength. That to me is success. You know, I think all of us in our lives have met really successful people, people who have a lot, a lot of wealth, a lot of things going on in their lives, but they're not satisfied. Kingdom defines success differently. Defines success as dependence on God and also satisfaction in who He is. I am successful. The last one, I will always have enough. Philippians 4, it says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Can we stand? I've just read to you four indicators of a hope-filled person, of a hope-filled believer. And the last point that I made about Mary was Mary made bold decorations. And today, we're going to make some decorations and we're going to declare these four truths, these four things, these four beliefs over every situation, circumstance in your life. Amen? So the first one, and we're going to declare it together on the count of three. One, two, three. There is always a solution. Let's do it again. There is always a solution. One more time. 
there is always a solution. Father, I pray for every situation that your people are facing, that God, that you begin to download hope and faith, God, that you are fighting for them, that you will break through on their behalf, that there is a solution because the solution is found in Christ Jesus and we have Christ the answer, Christ the Messiah living inside of us. There is always a solution. Let's read, let's declare the next one. I will always know what to do. On the count of three. One, two, three. I will always know what to do. I will always know what to do. One more time. I will always know what to do. Father, we thank you for your word. It says that if any lack wisdom, if any lacks knowledge, if any lacks the know-how that we can ask and that you will give us freely without reproach. So this morning, God, we, we ask again, we ask for a fresh infusion of godly wisdom, for a fresh infusion of divine inspiration, for a fresh infusion of creativity that reveals who Christ is. We ask for wisdom in every circumstance. In Jesus' name. Number three. Let's read this together. One, two, three. I am successful. I am successful. I am successful. Father, we come against every lie of the enemy. We come against uh, every uh, mindset that society has towards success. And Lord, I come against, God, every sense of insignificance this morning. And Lord, that you begin to review the worth that you have towards your children. That you begin to review the worth that they have to, in, in the kingdom. That Lord, truly that, that we can be, as the verse said, satisfied even in our lives, satisfied even in the days of plenty, completely dependent on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. So we renew our dependence on you this morning. That Lord, in, in every circumstance, in the valley, in the mountains, in our lack, in our plenty, we depend on you this morning. Let's read the last one. On the count of three, one, two, three. I will always have enough. I will always have enough. I will always have enough. Lord, we declare this verse that the same God who takes care of me, Paul, will supply all our needs from His glorious riches which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we ask God for overflowing. We ask for abundance. We ask for over more than enough God. And Lord, we thank you that we can always ask for more because there's always more in the kingdom of God. And Lord, we thank you that, that this riches that's been given to Christ Jesus is available for us today. And Lord, we choose to partake in what has been given to us. That, that, that video, that, 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 that moment when the boy turned to the man and the man said, the man said, but I have nothing to give. And the boy said, he has come to give to you. That's the whole point. It's Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Christ has come to give to you. Christ has come to give to you. Luke 2 said that, that while the shepherds, while the wise men, were, were, they marvel and were astonished at what happened at the birth of Christ, Mary treasured these things and pondered in her heart. Mary held these things close, held the, the, the promises of God, held the message of the Messiah, held the, the marvelous things she saw. And she, she didn't just look at them from afar. She held these things close and treasured it in her heart. So for just 
the next 20 30 seconds let's just put our hands on our heart and let's just meditate and ponder on the coming of the messiah what it means for you and me the reason why we can hope is not because of some theology the reason why we can hope is not because of some uh, 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 sayings that i just told you this morning but the reason we can hope is because christ has come he has come the messiah has come for you and me and because of that there's always a solution because of that i am successful because of that because of that all these things because of that i will always know what to do because of that i will always have enough so let's worship this morning